I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from the top rope here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Isco. And with us today is writer, former WWE writer, um, writer, culture writer, sports writer, and one of the better guests on Screen Drafts. No, there you go. Yeah. Uh, I've done this podcast a couple of times, and let's see, what other podcast is this guy doing? Dave Schilling, uh, how did you allow the Wesley Snipes draft to finish without Major League being on the seven? I I feel like I expected Jordan to come correct and put that that movie on there, and she didn't. That's that's on her. It's not on me. She said it was was like her favorite Wesley Snipes movie. She and then it doesn't make the list. Drop zone on there. I mean, I, not to talk about a podcast that you're not listening to right now. Well, I love that podcast. But I mean, it, yeah, you should listen to play it. And, uh, it pissed me off that she did that, but it's fine. And it it pissed me off too. But at Check least she didn't put at least she didn't put Monsters Inc. in the bottom five of Pixar movies. <laughs> so, <laughs> can I just tell you, Dave, that 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 Kenny was texting me while listening to the Pixar draft oh, and that the rage that was emanating from these texts, like he was just epileptic. Isn't that one like seven hours long? It's so it long. Is. It's, it's seven hours. And um, it's been my, my only seven hours of leisure time in the last six weeks, but it was, <laughs> it was worth it. Dave, thank you so much for coming to talk about 
Beyond the Mat and yeah. WWE 1999 in, in wrestling, I guess in uh in wrestling beyond just WWE because it was you know the the probably the biggest boom period for the business of all time. Absolutely. Um it was technically WWF at the time, correct? That's true. The changeover happened in 2002. Okay. Yeah. 2001 was the the year of the WCW purchase and it was also the last year that the WWF existed. Yeah. And now it's, you know, now it's WWE. WWE. Yeah, what a cool, different, fun name. World Wrestling Entertainment, which implies that wrestling is not entertaining on its own. Uh, That's not what it implies. (laughs) World Wrestling wrestling, Entertainment. Wrestling Entertainment. It's it's wrestling. The non entertaining wrestling that other companies do. It's a totally ridiculous name that makes no sense. They change it to that because of a lawsuit. That's all. That's uh, with, the only reason they World Wildlife Fund, which of course threw a great bash and long shot. But Dave, so you were as I'm going to do my best to, to say your history, and please correct me. It's your life, not mine. Um, you were a you like a culture writer and a TV writer, sports writer mm-hmm. for a long time, right? Still, and, some some of those are I, I still do, but not most. Right. And then you were kind of a frequent podcast guest on podcasts about wrestling, mm-hmm. hosted the Masked Band podcast, which, you know, Dave Shoemaker was the guy who brought me back to wrestling, right? Nice. Yeah. So yeah. I, didn't, I didn't watch wrestling for a good, like, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought his, his uh, articles on Deadspin were fantastic. And I thought his book was really good and really started. It was the first time anyone, you know, viewed wrestling the way I viewed it, you know, yeah. as, as performance art, as something to be, um, as something to be kind of dissected beyond just what's happening in the ring and the way the, you know, the Phil said something to me last night when he was watching Beyond the Mat. He's like, how could something be this fake and this real at the same time? And I said, that's what I love about it. So, uh, you hosted the show with Dave Shoemaker, mm-hmm. um, for the ringer. For a for a while, two and years, then I believe. Yeah, two years. The mm-hmm. the, the height of that show, <laughs> and then um, and then you left to write for WWE. I, I, sure I believe. I did. All right. So yeah. I can think I, ask, I, got, I have a question right right off the bat. What does that mean to write for WWE? A fantastic uh, as, question. Okay. A question that I wish I didn't have the answer to. <laughs> what it means is wrestling is not just the match. You know, it's not two hours of people fighting. It is two hours of people fighting and the reasons and why they fight. Why, why does Stone Cold hate Mr. McMahon? Well, that's, that's the writer's job is to decide what's the personal issue that makes these two figures um, come into opposition. What are they saying? Wrestling didn't always used to be a heavily scripted art form. It used to be... You know, interviews were part of the television broadcast and they were intended just for the purposes of getting you excited about the show coming to your town. So, you know, Ric Flair would be interviewed by Tony Schiavone on WCW Saturday Night or or what have you. And Flair would say, Tully Blanchard and and, um, Arn Anderson and I are coming to Chattanooga, Tennessee this Saturday. And Dusty Rhodes, you better watch out. I'm the world champion and my shoes cost $7,000 and you're a piece of trash. 
but the important <laughs> bit in there That's called is cutting a promo, and that was a great one. Yeah, right off the top of my head, you can see why they hired me. <laughs> that, that's what he said. My shoes cost $7,000 and you're trash. Which yeah, is true. That's what, that, is, that is essentially Rusty what it was. Rusty was trash and Ric Flair was known for those, those gators yeah, that yeah, he's exactly. having a hard time holding back. Exactly, yeah. So that, <laughs> the only Im- truly important bit inside that verbiage is – Come to the show on Saturday in Chattanooga, Tennessee to see the match. It is promotion. And that is the fundamental premise of professional wrestling is it's not a magic trick, but it is sort of like, I guess, the tease. It's a teasing uh, art form in the way that, you know, seduction exists in in adult entertainment. It's not you can't just go straight into the sex. You have to be intrigued by the poster on the box you have to be intrigued right. by the title you have to be intrigued by the stars it everything in entertainment is seduction and promotion and marketing but wrestling it's in the so it's directly in the story you know what i mean like well, that's so what you're writing i learned a lot watching this documentary but one of the things that i didn't know is that the announcers are being fed lines by yes. a writer like behind not the by scenes, a, not by a writer, not a writer. Okay. The announcers are in a headset or have a headset in their ear, or they're wearing, you know, a head headphones, and they are in communication with the person in the back, the producer who's sort of running the show. They're kind of like the director of the, the live broadcast. And for WWE, that's Vince Vince McMahon. Okay. okay. Yeah. Is that so, Vince McMahon today? Yeah. Okay. Unless unless he's like not doing it because he's ill mm-hmm. or something. But That's that incredible. would be information yeah. I wouldn't know. But when I was there, Vince McMahon would sit at what they call the gorilla position, which is a television monitor, multiple television monitors you see in the cameras and stuff. And he can bark at you and tell you, oh, you need to say that Shawn Michaels is a pussy or something. You know, that, you, you have to tell Phil why it's called the gorilla position or else he's going to think it's some like bizarre carny thing. Professional wrestler. And announcer Gorilla Monsoon sat there in the early days of the WWF under Vince McMahon. So it Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla Monsoon was his name, his yes. wrestling name. His wrestling okay, name was yes. Gorilla. His real name was Gino Morella, I believe. You wouldn't believe how not like a gorilla or a monsoon this guy was. He was big and hairy. He was long. He was. 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 He would He was. He was. He was. He was. He was. He but uh, that sounded somewhat erudite. I learned about biology from Gorilla Monsoon. So did I. <laughs> and you, I know that sounds so dirtier I. than it should. Solar plexus is actually a real thing. <laughs> Dave, do you feel like this documentary is an accurate representation of wrestling? Yes, it is maybe okay. the only wow. accurate representation of wrestling. Because it is one of the only... This this and Wrestling with Shadows are the two documentaries. Yes, and that's about Bret the Hitman Hart and Bret Hart um, leaving WWF to go to WCW and the circumstances behind his departure. Both of those have unprecedented access to the the behind-the-scenes. And because both of them were independently shot and produced and released without the benefit of the WWF... Uh, benefit or detriment of WWF, 
uh, in their involvement, they the picture of the business is far more realistic. The kind of okay. manic energy and the the carnival barker elements of it, and Vince McMahon's personality really comes out in these those two movies, both yeah. this and Wrestling with Shadows. It, it, for anybody who hasn't seen those two movies, watch them back to back or something. So, and Phil, I would implore you to watch that as well. Wrestling with Shadows is the best documentary I've ever seen. Um, and, I, and I'm not, and I'm not joking. What, what happens in that movie, you know, the, the best documentaries are very often movies where you go, where the filmmakers go and expect one thing and something else happens. And wrestling with shadows is basically just supposed to be about Bret Hart's daily life as he figures out his next step uh, beyond wrestling. And what happens, I, I really don't even want to give it away, but what happens is, is so harrowing and tragic and Shakespearean that uh, you can't help but be kind of devastated at the end of it, um, particularly for you, a Canadian. So, so like Bret Hart. Well, can I can can I say I I, I want to, to. You said something there. The Shakespearean thing kind of triggers something for me, and I'm curious as to both of your thoughts on this because as I'm watching this documentary, I was really kind of hit with the paradox of wrestling to a certain degree which is that it's inherently very theatrical, right? Like it's deeply theatrical. And yet it's also attempting to be unbelievably masculine. And those two things are kind of contradictory in its own way. And, I, and I'm sort of like, and forgive the pun, but I wrestled with that as I was watching this, thinking about these men that are trying to give off this intense masculinity when behind the scenes, they seem like, pretty normal guys for the most part. I mean, family men and for what have you. There's just a lot of contradictions and paradoxes within this universe, which I find fascinating, but I guess, am I wrong in that assessment? No, wrestling is a, 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 a an industry full of uh, contradictions and paradoxes and, and strangeness. Wrestlers are deeply vulnerable people. They're incredibly insecure in the same way that actors are. But at the same time, like you said, they have to go out there and they have to constantly scream at each other and talk about how I'm going to whoop your ass and I'm the best and you're trash. But these people are constantly thinking they're not the best because that is I don't want to I don't want to say that there's that it's a it's brainwashing. But in a sense, it's brainwashing in the way that the promoters can build you up and tear you down. And Vince McMahon does that. In this movie, yeah. he's very seductive, especially with draws, and like we're gonna make you a big star. You're gonna, you're gonna puke all of that stuff. Like you're gonna be a, the biggest, baddest <laughs> son of a bitch in wrestling. Like that's you're what he does. Vince. He's selling you. Know, my Vince is what good, excellent. That, I mean, uh, that's the worst idea I've ever heard in my fuck. When you when you listen to the, the, I mean, Phil, this is you know very 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 inside. But when you listen to a lot of wrestling podcasts, like I do, or I, or I, I would say I used to, um, you hear a lot of people who have worked for the WWE, and one thing they all have is an excellent Vince McMahon. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You're gonna he's gonna puke like like. I can't do it because I didn't sit in a room with him, which you did, Dave, which is insane. So yes, what is that like being in the – so, you know, Dave, you've written on TV shows, right, mm-hmm. with other yeah. showrunners. Yeah. How does this compare to being in a room with a 
any other television show you've ever worked on versus working with Vince sitting at the head of that table. Imagine if you worked on a television show, 30 Rock, and you only saw Tina Fey for 10 minutes every week, and then she was gone, and then somebody else decided what the show was going to be about, and your episode that you wrote has been torn up and rewritten, but your name isn't even on it. Your name nowhere. That's, never be that, that, even if it goes yeah. goes well. Your name's not on it. That's nasty. There's nothing about wrestling that is similar to a television show as it exists outside of wrestling. It is television only in the fact that it is broadcast on television, uh, and there are cameras. <laughs> but other than that, so, it's a totally different beast. So I want to get into something a little bit more. Uh, I want to get into a little, little bit more. With Phil was saying because, um, how this can happen? What I've always loved about wrestling and i'm an unabashed fan and i i you know mention on the podcast all the time whenever i can um i take lessons from it i think there's a lot to be learned uh from watching it um the way crowd reacts the way crowds react and the way you know good and evil are kind of interchangeable and transferable and and uh the way to introduce characters things like that okay um what i've always kind of found endearing since the curtain has been dropped and since people started to admit that it's, you know, fake is not the right word. I, I think that is an insulting word, but acknowledge the existence of kayfabe, which means, you know, this is part of the show, is the vulnerability Dave speaks to and also the, um, the carefulness with which they treat each other. Wrestling doesn't work unless the wrestlers have 100% confidence in each other. Yes. And what you see what you see in this movie, which I love, is you see the Rock and Mick Foley in the back with Rock, with Mick's kids and Mick saying, "This is Daddy's friend. He's going to take care of me." And 99.9999% of the time, that has happened. And 99.9999% of the time, that's been the intent. Right, I can rattle off the times when it has when when it's gone awry, which is like crazy when you think about you know how often you'd expect this to turn into what they call a shoot to turn into something real, um, and that has always been very very endearing to me. Yeah, the way in which these people who may hate each other in real life or may love each other in real life have generally protected each other. In the context of this ring, which you don't, you know, you guys know from being in the entertainment industry, that doesn't happen. You'll yeah. be on set where your boss will throw you under the bus. You'll be on set where someone will blame someone else for a problem that's not their problem. People will 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 talk behind some other people's backs. There is there is, I believe that there is this wrestler code that I have like, I, I think is almost utopian in its own weird way. So that's something I've loved about the world. <laughs> I mean, that's I not what I what, what I what I mean. What I mean is more, and you're right, of course, because you've been on the inside. What I mean is more this idea of, and you see it in the in the movie a little bit with Mike Modest. If someone throws something at the wrestlers in the ring, all the wrestlers are out to figure out who that is and how to protect the guy in the ring from the person who is intruding. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter who that wrestler is because they're a family at that moment. Yeah. That's not necessarily true everywhere else, but that that is one of the reasons I love it, and I find that this like 
very unique world that doesn't exist anywhere else. But uh, there are a lot of things that I that I that I love about it. What's sad about it to me is the things that you're talking about, Dave, which is it's almost like this idea that can never exist in its best possible form. It's still show business at the end of the day. And to go back to the idea of it being contradictory, they are a family. They're they're like a sports team that has no opponent. You know, this the 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 if the Harlem Globetrotters went from town to town but they didn't play anybody, they just like passed the ball to each other. That's essentially <laughs> what the WWE and wrestling touring companies are. They're yeah, that's what the, working that's together on a show. Yeah, they're working to get yeah. together to put on a show. But there's also so much interpersonal conflict and jealousy and um, resentment that does pop up between wrestlers who feel like that person doesn't deserve the spot Incredible. that they have. This person's payout is higher than mine, and it shouldn't be. I'm a woman and I'm treated like a second class citizen because I don't draw the same money that the men do or I don't get the opportunities that the men do. There's so much of that. It's an egotistical um, sport because it is about the individual and the individual becoming the star. But it is a team sport in that everybody has to work together. So it's incredibly complicated to deal with. It's uh, it's a mind fuck. I don't know if I can curse. I don't remember. No, if absolutely, you can. absolutely. You, you can. can. It's a mind fuck. The only word, right? Yeah. Because the you you take it a step further, and this is another thing that I've always found fascinating. But again, it's like everything wrestling. It's a double edged sword. Um, if if Tom Cruise loses a fight in a movie, no one cares because he's Ethan Hunt. Right? Because he's not himself. Sure. If John Cena loses a fight, Mm -hmm. that reflects on John Cena the person. If John Cena says something wrong in the ring, that reflects on John Cena the person. Mm -hmm. So the fact that these people, who some some use their own name and some don't, but they all use their own names in public, right? Mm -hmm. Like the Bella twins aren't named Bella. But they're Bella in the public sphere. They are those, they have, they, those characters have crossed over from WWE world into the real world. So mm-hmm. the things that happen within the scope of – within the, the, the sphere of WWE affect their actual lives. Yeah. And that's very crazy to me. And they're their actual, actual lives. And on top of that, the world at large has agreed to keep some level of kayfabe. That's crazy to me. You have people go on television who have wrestling championship belts that they win in a scripted promotion and are called champ. How could the, that's amazing in its own weird way that we've kind of allowed them to exist. Like I think one of the most, the most brilliant insights in the movie was when the guy compared it to the Muppets mm-hmm. because that's what it is. Because yeah. the world has also kind of agreed to pretend the Muppets exist too. Like yep. Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy will go on award shows and people will be like, yes, this is just another celebrity. Just <laughs> like me and you. Yeah, so, Baby Yoda or something. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know, we, we do that, but then Hulk Hogan is is under oath giving testimony and he says, you know, I'm I'm Terry and Hulk Hogan is a character and like 
you know, you can't con- conflate the two, but we do all the time. Like you do conflate the two because you go out in public as Hulk Hogan. You say you're Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Nobody calls him Steve Williams anymore. Nobody calls Chris Jericho, Chris Irvine. Like there's, it's, it's the, they're one in the same now. And it is so, it's, it's weird. It's very weird. And some people there lose are- themselves in the character. Yeah, and that's what happened, and that brings us to Jake the Snake, right? Mm-hmm. Because nobody, and it's called, you know, I, 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 I'm doing that thing that I think people involved in wrestling hate, so Dave, please take it with a grain of salt, but uh, the thing where I'm pretending I know what I'm talking about, <laughs> but uh, working yourself into a shoot mm-hmm. is a thing <laughs> where people uh, working is the kayfabe word. Working's, you know, you're part of character. Shooting's real. But when someone like Jake the Snake Roberts goes from a wrestler who is just, you know, the son of a guy to someone who becomes a snake-obsessed minister who actually, like, you know, is constantly living this gimmick, that happened to Jake, I think more than almost any wrestler, got lost in the game. A little bit, but he also had demons, you know, of his own. His father, his relationship with his father was not good for reasons that are addressed and not addressed in the film. Um, you know, you come into any job with your baggage. Unfortunately, with wrestling, there is no time for you to go to therapy. Nobody's giving you the benefit of the doubt when you have a problem, when things get dark. And, you know, at that time in wrestling, and I don't think any wrestler would deny this, there was rampant drug use with everybody. You know, cocaine, pills, heavy drinking, um... And then, you know, performance-enhancing drugs. Not that Jake Roberts ever looked at a steroid his entire career. I mean, have you seen that man's body? I don't think he worked out. I think he just rolled off of a construction site. and is like, I love that about him. I love to have the confidence to go out in Lycra like that and just put yourself out there. Oh, it's with a little, it's a little tiny beer belly and good for him. But uh, yeah, those... You're, there is no safety net. There's no time off. Love that. Wrestlers mm-hmm. work 300 days a year, or they used to before the pandemic. You know, they'd be touring every day practically. They'd constantly be on the road. There's no time for self reflection. There's I've got to make the next town. What's what's my what's my uh, what's my storyline? What am I doing on on TV this week? That's it. Like you don't have time to tend to your garden so to speak your mental garden you are just laser i I would say that go ahead sorry i I was just gonna say that that you know the the jake the snake portion of this documentary which is without a doubt the most harrowing um and then reading that aronofsky was obviously inspired by it to write uh the wrestler i mean not a surprise but but yeah Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's a really, really sad story. I mean, Jake, the snake is a really sad soul to watch that and see that. Um, he's still with us though. I mean, he's found some level of, of grace uh, and salvation. Like it's with any addict, he's said it's still a struggle all the time, but he's, he was able to through that community of wrestlers through the, that band of brothers and sisters, find um, a bit of um, a safe landing. Solace. Yeah. Did he? 
The the movie says that he never sort of reconciled with his daughter. Do we know if he did post 99? Has he or or is that is that I, I'm just curious more than anything because they they're seen together and it was really powerful. Yeah, I think by now he has. The, don't good. quote me on that, even though I am just saying that publicly on a podcast. <laughs> don't quote me. But okay. I believe that he's he's talked about you know, making amends and trying to do that kind of thing. He's he's had a fairly wild last twenty years in terms of people were confident this guy was going to die. Yeah, like they, right. they, this was not a, this was not a question. Him and then another wrestler named Scott Hall, E sixty ESPN did a, a feature on Scott Hall, and they both were like essentially you know standing nine count. It was over. Yeah. Um, and you know, as as Dave was saying, there's another wrestler named Diamond Dallas Page who brought them into his house and helped them, like nurse them back to health. And, and they both, I mean, I think Scott Hall's still pretty involved or, or around the WWE, right, Dave? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's in the Hall of Fame. He probably, I never met him, but I remember seeing him in catering at WrestleMania and being like, "That's that's Scott Hall." Um, Fraser. I mean, he's the, <laughs> my favorite guy. <laughs> Uh, that's where you see a lot of the, the like the legends is WrestleMania weekend. Um, so and they're just kind of hanging what, out, eating free food. <laughs> what I wanted to ask you, Dave, was: uh, Were you a fan from like w- when you were like a little kid? My fandom began probably in 1991, 1990, somewhere around there. Um, my my most vivid early wrestling memories involve Macho Man and Jake the Snake, actually, and. Macho Man's wedding to Miss Elizabeth and the attack at the end of that SummerSlam '91, the match made in heaven and the match made in hell, uh, and Jake unleashing a, 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 a cobra, I guess it was a cobra or some sort of snake, onto to Macho Man, cobra. him biting his arm, and the, the cutaways to the crowd of children weeping and people with these these ashen faces. It was. It left me shook as a child of five or six or however old I was at the time that this horrible atrocity had occurred and will the macho man receive his vengeance, his pound of flesh. And that was, of course, the magic trick. That is the heat. That is the inciting incident that begins the journey towards the payoff the big match at whatever the show might be, the Royal Rumble or something. I, I was like, I, we have to order this paper. Mom, Dad, <laughs> Survivor Series 91, we got to order this. And then Survivor Series 91 is also the year where The Undertaker beat Hulk Hogan for the WWF Championship. Two weeks later, there's a pay-per-view Tuesday in Texas. Mom and dad, we got to order that. It's cheaper this time because it's only two hours and it's on a Tuesday. So that's how they hook you. It was like, oh, God, this horrible thing has happened to my hero and he yeah. has to get revenge. But so at the time, there were, only, there were only four or five of these. Yes, four a so year. It was a little more cost effective yes. to be a wrestling fan. Like then you started to have upwards of 20. But right? there was like there WCW was- at the same time. So I was also sampling WCW, which was a Southern company based out of Atlanta, owned by Ted Turner. And they would do their own five or six pay-per-views a year, plus specials on TBS that were two, three hours long with commercial breaks and everything. So it was still a lot of wrestling. And you still had to pick and choose. But yeah, now 
or even in 2006 when there was one a month. It's just like, how do you keep up with this if you're spending you $6 a month? Can I ask a stupid question? Get your life over to it. Uh, here, here's a, this, I, I feel like I know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it anyway. Are, the wrestlers are getting screwed when it comes to the money, right? I mean, all the money is going into the federation, and they're they're getting pittance. I imagine. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, they, they it used to be much worse. It used to be right. you get a hundred dollars a week or something, or one hundred twenty five dollars a month, something crazy, some like oh tiny God. stipend. It's like this is what you earn, and then you'll run, do the shows and then we will decide based on the gate, the percentage of the payout that you as a wrestler will receive every show. And trust higher, us. Yeah. Trust us. Trust us that we are divvying this up in a, an even handed fashion. But for the most part, you know, the big names, the Hulk Hogan's, the macho man's, the Jake Roberts's uh, million dollar man, flair uh, staying like they're, they're making way more money. WCW, for the most part, after they were after um, Jim Crockett Promotions, the company that was bought by Ted Turner, became WCW. Turner started offering guaranteed contracts to wrestlers, so you would make a salary. You would be an employee of Turner Broadcasting. In the WWF, you're an independent contractor. <laughs> you to this day. Yeah, you have now they have contracts. Now they have guaranteed downside contracts where you'll make this as a minimum as an independent contractor, pay your own taxes, get your own health care, et cetera, et cetera. But you can make Do more. Do they still pay for their own travel, Dave? Yeah, I think so. I think so. There's some like WrestleMania, you don't have to pay for your travel. Or like the hotel. There's a. You stay in a big giant hotel. This is not a trade secret anymore because every mark in the in the entire world knows there's a hotel at WrestleMania where all the wrestlers were uh, stay, and we have to stay there too. Um, so yeah, that's paid for, but I think there are limits to even that. So in '99, Dave, are you? Did you see this film in '99? I mean, you're a wrestling fan in '99, so Still, do you remember yeah. seeing? Dave, yeah. where did you grow up? Merced, California, small town north of Fresno. So, so I'm, that- I'm WWF country. WCW was on TBS and stuff, but it was mostly WWF. Did you have uh, Did you have any relationship with ECW? Not at all. Not at all. Okay. I knew of it from the the wrestling trade magazines and and the internet and stuff, but ECW in California, I think, was only on. KP, not KPCC, KTLA or something, you know, one local channel, local station in LA at like midnight. But I grew up in even in, yeah. even in New York, uh, it was on very late on some down, you know, down dial channel until they got the national deal with. Yeah, was I wasn't you trading or anything either. Like the tape trading felt dirty and weird to me as a child. We also didn't have to. Like in the in like first of all, it is dirty and weird. Second of all, like in the nine in the nineties, late nineties, like I don't know. I watched very little ECW, and yet I know everything that's ever happened in ECW because I just read about it. Yeah, I read you know, about I, it. Um, another thing that was important for ECW's penetration into my my cultural sphere of influence was when they invaded Monday Night Raw. Yep. They were on Raw like, every week. Like a month 97, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Did so, you have a favorite wrestler as a kid, Dave? 
Was there wh- who was your guy? So it changes depending on your age, right? So my wrestling fandom starts in 1990, 91. Mm-hmm. And it carries through for the like un- I think uninterrupted through the the 90s. Um but as you grow older, the things that you think are cool about wrestlers changes. So I loved, I started out really loving the heels in WWF. As a kid? As a kid. Flair. Me too. I loved Flair. I, did, yeah. I loved Piper, even though he was a baby face. He was funny and cool. I loved DiBiase. I loved Jake as a heel. But I also loved Macho Man and Hogan. Like I didn't hate anybody. I was just like, oh, this is so cool. And I hope this this character wins this match or what have you. But I didn't Did you have any inkling as a kid that it wasn't perhaps as real as you thought? Or were you like just parents, my parents did not allow me to think it was real. <laughs> my parents were like, this is this is for this is fake. It is for children and it's fun. <laughs> Grandma likes it, but it's not real. <laughs> My grandma's from Oklahoma, and they had regional wrestling in her small town in Oklahoma. So she was like, I love wrestling. I want my grandkids to love wrestling. So that was sort of how it started, I think. Um, so so but, you yeah. saw this film in 99? or you no, in I saw the it in 99. My, to answer the question, though, my favorite wrestler at, at the beginning, I love the heels. Then I fell in love with Bret Hart. I just thought he was, he was a bee's knees. He was he wore the pink tights and he had the sunglasses and a leather jacket and like all right this guy this is what a grown man how grown man dresses like this uh, and he was and he put on the most exciting matches like he was the most talented wrestler of his generation but then Shawn Michaels comes along and he's a bad bad guy and cocky I always love a cocky wrestler uh, and then finally into high school. When I've become a total shithead, my favorite wrestler is The Rock. I like The Rock more than Austin, but I really love the NWO. Like, I loved the NWO. And I became a WCW guy because the NWO storyline was so great. Hulk Hogan becoming a bad guy and Nash and Hall and all the black shirts and the spray paint. And like, oh, this is edgy. This is edgy. So I felt it really was like I I personally WWE Mark from the beginning uh, and always always sampled WCW but always kind of viewed it as you know the other guys inferior yeah um, not necessarily inferior just the other guys like you know kind of secretly thinking like I hope this isn't superior you know yeah. like I hope that I'm not on the wrong team here um, but uh, just the other guys. Then when the NWO hit, now I think we're getting a, maybe a little too in the weeds, Phil, but basically like the NWO were more or less a bunch of ex-WWE guys mm-hmm. who came over and invaded the promotion. But the beauty and the genius of it was yeah. that it really, truly felt like they took over. It felt it real. really, truly felt like the wheels had fallen off. Like WWE every once in a while, I'd say every five years, will do an invasion angle. There's one right now um, where someone will like kind of invade the company and kind of assert their their dominance for like a couple of weeks. And but it never feels like it never feels like 
the wheels are falling off of the company. It never feels like the company's actually in danger of falling prey to the invaders taking over the company. It always feels like right. Vince is always going to be in charge. NWO felt for a while like this might wind up being an NWO show. Like yeah. I, I, they did real. an NWO yeah. pay-per-view. Yeah, they had yeah. Hulk, which was a big deal. They probably had, you know, the the three hottest stars on the show, and that that's unusual. Yeah. But that storyline ended so disappointingly. Because I, yeah, the sting aspect was like the coolest shit. Yeah, it was it was crazy. It was epic storytelling. And that's what kept yes. me into wrestling through my shithead high school years where it's like wrestling is not cool, man. Wrestling is not going to get you a girlfriend. Wrestling is going to hinder that. But because <laughs> it became a zeitgeist moment, like a huge deal outside of the wrestling sort of cult, I kept going. And so in 1999... Beyond the mat was like the lifting of the veil, like the the wizard behind the curtain. Like it was crazy how much uh, access you got. It didn't get a theatrical release in my hometown, but as soon as that thing came out on DVD or VHS or whichever, what how I think I watched it on DVD. I think I had a DVD player by then. I I mean I poured over it. It was the first time you really got to see Titan Towers, you know, the headquarters of WWE in Stamford, Connecticut, and to see how Vince operated and to see how the, the, the machine worked. It was, man, it was a huge deal for me. Um, so that, I want to give a very, okay, can I, I just give a brief synopsis of the movie? Just one more question before that, or just, I've mm-hmm. always had kind of a difficult relationship with this movie mm. because, now I think it's an amazing film. I'm not saying it's not, and I've always thought it was an amazing film. But this was a veil that I didn't want lifted. Interesting. And and I would I would say this uh, beyond the mat wrestling with shadows and the wrestler to some extent. Um, they were diff- they're they're difficult movies for me mm-hmm. because they they're difficult in the way that you know two years ago and everyone's forgotten. No one cares anymore. But two years ago, when uh, all the stuff about concussions started taking over talk about the NFL, and some people were like, I'm just not going to watch anymore. I can't watch people bash their brains anymore. I can't be a part of that. I've been a party to this business that destroys people for my whole life. And I, to some extent, I was comfortable. Even I was, you know, I was 17 at the time. I was comfortable living in, you know, ignorant bliss when it came to this business because, again, WWE wrestling in general provides something that no other medium provides. It's this high wire, on the fly, improvisational, you know, collaborative thing that at its best is storytelling unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah. Like what Dave just described about NWO, you can't tell that story anywhere else. Um, you can't tell uh, with the sting album. You can't tell that story. You can't tell, you know, Dave the Daniel Bryan story at uh, at the Superdome three or four years ago, four or five years or ago, or Austin versus McMahon, or no. you know, Hogan and Savage. Any like, story to me, Bailey versus Sasha. Like if you get into that story from the beginning. Like these are amazing stories that it pains me and destroys me that the people 
telling these stories, the company telling these stories, treat their people, and you can speak to this better than anybody, about as badly as people are treated in corporate America. So well, I, to, to, to play devil's – not devil's advocate because they don't want to call them devils. Uh, but to, <laughs> to, I would never do that. Uh, but to, to, to say something in, in uh, defense of WWE specifically and wrestling in general, it's gotten much better than – than 1999 you know they wwe has medical staff they offer you know free medical attention to these people you know you can go to the performance center in florida and get looked at their rehab is paid for they have former wwe wrestlers on legends contracts they pay for people to go to rehab it's not perfect but boy is it a far cry from what it was in 1999. And, and this is as good a place as any to transition into the synopsis of the movie. See that Pro- professional um, beyond the mat is a doc- <laughs> beyond the mat is a documentary that focuses on the lives of professional wrestlers, Terry Funk, Mick Foley, AKA mankind and Jake Roberts, AKA Jake, the snake and Darren Drozdoff draws mm-hmm. or Drozdoff, I guess he's puke yeah. at the beginning of this, but mm-hmm. Um, the film tells the story of their lives as we learn the wrestling industry is not the plastic weapons fake slap side show that may that many have perceived it as. Through interviews with the family of McFoley and others, we see what it's like for family members to watch as their loved ones literally put their lives on the line every week. Beyond the Mat opened on October 22nd against The Best Man, Bringing Out the Dead, Three to Tango, and Bats. It would go on to make $2 million on a $500,000 budget. It's got 82% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 83% from audiences. Uh, Ebert gave it three stars and said, Beyond the Mat isn't a slick documentary. Some of it feels like Blaustein's home movie about being a wrestling fan, but it has a, at a hypnotic quality. Those who oppose boxing because of his violence acknowledge that it's at least supervised sport with rules and safeguards. Wrestling is not a sport, but a spectacle in which weary and wounded men, some obviously not in the best shape, injure one another for money. One, at one point, we see two wrestlers set each other on fire and then throw each other on barbed wire. There are ways to do this in which you do not get burned severely or lacerated much, but it's not simple trickery. It's, and what goes on in the ring clearly really does hurt, sometimes a lot. After a bloody match, two wrestlers slap each other on the back and explain, the more you hurt each other, the more money you make, so the more you like each other. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I knew very little about this world, um, you know, Kenny mentioned that he wanted, Kenny is obviously a, a fan of wrestling and he mentioned that we were going to, you know, want to do this movie. Um, so I went into it just completely blind and was pretty floored, quite frankly, by it. Um, it, it really, um, it, it made me pretty sad, quite honestly. Like it is, it's seeing, seeing those guys at the top of the documentary that are trying, trying out to be in the WWF at the time. Um, and seeing the sort of, quite frankly, tears that I really didn't know existed. You know, that there's a room with 200 people and that's like a big night, rest, you know, wrestling in, in what almost kind of reminded me of like Fight Club in the basement when they're having their fights. Um, it, it just, it, it felt so uh, desperate. And I don't say that in, in a pathetic way, in a just a, a, a desperation to be a part of this world. So such a longing to be a part of it. Um, it's palpable. And and then even seeing Kenny and I texted this text about this a little bit, but like the brass ring is is perhaps having your own ravioli commercial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was there were 
at the time this movie came out limits on what you could accomplish as a wrestler because mass communication was what it was and you had to be on tv to be a professional wrestler essentially like a a working Mm -hmm. successful one that doesn't exist anymore and because of the internet and because of the way in which wrestling fans communicate with each other, it doesn't quite feel so ghettoized. It doesn't feel right. so dirty. I've been to independent wrestling shows where it's like, oh, there's just, you know, yeah, we're in, um, you know, the Ukrainian cultural center on Melrose in Los Angeles, and that's weird. But it now it feels more like a cool independent rock concert. Mm. To date myself, rock and roll music, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let me date myself and say that rock music is a genre. Anyway, um, it feels different now. And I think part of what changed it, besides just the mediums of communication improving and connecting us more, was this movie. This movie is like you're going through a filthy apartment. The first thing you have to do is lift the mattress and clean out all of the bed bugs and the cockroaches. You have to start by showing off everything that's terrible about it to then begin Mm -hmm. the process of cleaning it up. And wrestling is not perfect today. It will never be perfect because it is a capitalist enterprise that has a profit motive and nothing that has a profit motive will ever be perfect. And that's just pragmatism, pragmatism at play, but it is so much better than it is it was in this movie because we needed to see the reality wrestling had always been before this movie a a akin to like the the masons like wrestling and freemasonry are the two greatest secrets of the 20th century uh you don't know what the hell they do behind these closed doors now we have a little bit more awareness of what's going on and what the the trick is and barry blaustein has a lot of um responsibility for that because of this film mm-hmm. yeah you know i i um so one of the things that's so at the beginning of the film there's this there's this guy that we we spoke of uh drozdov who goes in to audition for vince right and vince is interested in seeing this guy because he can puke on command essentially right um and and he says you know puke fits the wwf attitude and then he does, as you guys did, the, the Vince impression of him saying, he's going to puke. He's going to, and he really kind of like, <laughs> there's and no, really like, even though I have heard that I've been in the same room as this man and, and heard him speak off of camera more than once. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
it it's not because of that that I know the voice. It's because I have lived that with this man in my life longer than my <laughs> parents. Like he's just there all the time speaking. I like as an announcer, as a character, as everything. Like it's 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 so crazy. So that, I, that's I, what I, there's I, something. There's something you know, about was, when, yes, when, Alex, when Alex Trebek died. I tried to figure out if there's anybody I have seen or watched or listened to in my life more than Alex Trebek. Vince and the McMahon. only answer might be Vince. <laughs> um, it, it's, it, it's crazy to think of that, but it, it's, it, it probably is true. Yeah. There's something about Drozdov calling his mom after the audition and saying, You'll be, you're, you will be real proud of me, mama. I'm now known as puke. Well, he was joking. <laughs> he was so cool. Like that's the no, I know. I'm just. I, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying it seriously. But even even in jest, it says something. Yeah. It. Yeah. It does say something. I mean, there's it. It does say. It says. It says a lot. I mean, it says a lot to see. For instance, this guy Baron Corbin, who was a badass offensive lineman for the Arizona Cardinals like a real professional football player now have to walk around in a crown and a cape and call himself the king. And that's, he's one of the biggest, he's one of the biggest guys in the company, but like it, what you have to do once you get into WWE is it is, you know, puking is a, is an extreme example, but it is crazy the way you give your life and your persona over to this company. I, I, I keep coming back to that idea. Um, yep. So I, I, I want to get back to what Dave was saying just, about the importance I, of this movie. Sorry, but, you, yeah. Yeah. So Barry Blaustein, to his credit, was a very successful movie writer. He wrote The Nutty Professor and other things. And that level of um, legitimacy, I think, meant a lot in how this movie was perceived by sure. film critics. Obviously, you know, he wasn't David Lynch, but he was legitimate <laughs> enough that he had Wrestling to make is kind of people... like a David Lynch movie. I think it is. But <laughs> uh but uh a particular Dave, were you there for the funhouse for that for the uh Firefly Funhouse with Cena? Oh no, I I was there in the genesis of that character. The beginning Shit. when it was first like we're gonna do this thing with Bray Wyatt. Who <laughs> came like, up with that? What shit? the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, but then but it the, became a huge thing, and so I was wrong. I was totally wrong. I did was you like the funhouse with Cena? It was fine. It was, it was. It was. They did the best with a. Not to get off on a tangent, but it, it was the it's best okay. we could okay. have done. We're talking about John Cena wrestling Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania last year. And this was the COVID WrestleMania, so it took place in a warehouse. And they did like a, a filmed kind of vignette instead of a match. Um, yeah, it was it was cool. But to go back to the point about these characters and, and Baron Corbin and Draws and, and what you see in this movie, Vince McMahon is looking for an attraction. What is going to make what about you is going to make people want to pay money to see you? And that is why you have to give yourself up to this persona, because the persona is your is the draw. The persona is the attraction. Hulk Hogan is just a big dude without the yellow tights and the saying your prayers and eating your vitamins. Steve Austin is just a bald guy from Texas unless he's given the middle finger and pouring beer mm-hmm. on himself. Mm-hmm. Can I? There's a quote that I love that Mick Foley 
says, um, he says, it's not like I'm going to sit at home in the future and miss being hit in the head with chairs. It's just something I do quite well. Yeah. And I, and I really feel like that's kind of the essence of all of this, right? And it's just he, like, he sits home and misses getting hit in the head with chairs. Yeah. He, he keeps does. coming back. He does. I mean, not anymore. But yeah, he forever. doesn't hit the head with the chair anymore, thank God. But yeah, you, they miss it on some level. They miss the paycheck uh, and they miss the attention, the limelight, the feeling of being on the road and at the show and the creativity of it. Like, I would miss it too. Like, if there's nothing like it, you can tell just nothing being like in the it. arena, being backstage, being in that world, you can tell that there's no, no feeling quite like being a professional wrestler. And you really feel that with the Terry Funk storyline, you know, where there's this, there's, I mean, there's a lot of great scenes with him, but one of the scenes that, that stays with me is the scene with his doctor, where is, where, where his doctor's like, you need to get knee surgery. And he's like, okay, but what if I didn't? <laughs> like, it's basically what he says. Yeah. And the doctor's like, well, you you shouldn't be walking right now. Like, I don't know how you're walking right now. Oh, not oh, <laughs> And then later, there's a shot of Terry walking away, and he kind of stumbles or, like, stumbles on some rocks or something like that. And literally in my head, all I thought was, oh, God, his knee. It's the like, scariest I just... thing I've ever seen in my life, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, and, and, die. this man, and, this pile of bones is going to fall apart. And he wrestled until about five years ago. It's crazy. Into his 70s. Yeah. Uh, it's just, there. I, I think uh, the other thing this documentary did, mm-hmm. beyond you know, lifting the carpet and showing all the worms, was these particular guys, specifically Funk, Mick Foley, but a bunch of the other guys, but specifically those two guys, are such good people. I think what it did was humanize the wrestlers and and fans stopped viewing them as just characters. Now, I think what you'll see in the last 20 years, which has been really good for the wrestling industry, has been an enlightenment of the fan base. I think you'd be shocked by how progressive the average wrestling fan is. I'm not saying they're very progressive. I'm not saying we're talking about AOC voters. But what I'm saying is, like, you think that they are – there is a there is a stereotype sure. that they are, you know, the people who are raiding the Capitol, and they're not. In general, at least the wrestling fans that, that I think for the most part go to shows and the wrestling – certainly the ones who are going to the Ukrainian Cultural Center with Dave um, are people who are rooting for uh, the best pr- practitioners of the craft – Often people who are rooting for people who have not had their chances before, people rooting for female wrestlers, which hasn't happened, which never happened before. There's a huge women wrestling industry that was a sideshow for the entire, for basically the entirety of the business. Um, Diverse wrestlers who there's an extremely bad history of wrestling the way they've treated anybody who's not white. Right, mm-hmm. like there's a joke that Michael P.S. Hayes, who maybe in this movie a little bit, told a black wrestler that being black was his gimmick. You know, um, so so that has changed among the fan base, and I think a fan base has pushed the WWE in a better direction. Both with the stuff you're talking about in terms of the wellness policy, I think that was pushed from the fan base. The focus on women's wrestling, we know when that started, 
That was pushed from the fan base. So I think that treating these wrestlers with some respect, which is what I think Blostein did, uh, signaled to the audience that it's the game has to be different for you too now. Yeah. You can't just look at them like they are the Hulk and Captain America because they go home and they have families and they're real people. Um, I, I think it's been a really well, good I- thing. I think that there's something that I that there's a moment in this that first of all Dwayne Johnson is a is a baby in this documentary obviously I mean this is quite a while ago he's a much smaller man um, he just you know he hasn't become what he's become obviously but Dwayne Johnson calling The Rock a piece of shit <laughs> was a great kind of like acknowledgement of this persona versus person that I think to Kenny's point I'm not sure was in, was totally crystallized before that but maybe i'm wrong it, it couldn't have been because the business was designed to treat you as a rube and a fool to be duped it was we're going to rile these hillbillies up and get mm-hmm. them to come see us pretend to fight right and we need the heel has to make the 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 old grannies who think it's real and the drunks who just want to scream so mad that they come back next month and pay tickets, pay for a ticket to see this this match. Now, partially because right. of this movie and the way that it's framing wrestling as an art form, as a passion, as a, a form of expression, the fans look at it the same way. And so they cannot be duped. They cannot have the wool put over their eyes. You cannot just trot out a person from russia with a hammer and sickle on their tights and say boo that person because they're from russia because we know that's yeah we, they try they always try they always go back to the, the well of xenophobia because that's what's always worked but it doesn't work because people are too sophisticated and too aware of the fact that that person's not actually from russia that guy's from bulgaria or that that person doesn't really hate me they're they're just a, an actor playing a part a, a, a fabulously talented athlete who is playing a part. So you can never get that emotion that you see in this movie. The emotion of, I truly despise Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He is a piece of shit and I want him to die. In the way that like the the real res- wrestling now is not um, wrestling. It is politics. It is um, Jake Paul fighting Floyd Mayweather. Oh, it is where it's truly like, I find that person legitimately repulsive and repugnant. And I want to see them lose. And I want to see them suffer. And I want to see them beaten down within an inch of their life. That is what wrestling is now. Wrestling as an art form is just the same thing as comic books. It's no different than that now. I think it's interesting because as you guys were talking, I'm thinking about about Jake and him sort of losing the plot a little bit, right? Like he kind of loses that separation or or certainly gets kind of swallowed in. He talks a little bit. There's this kind of a, a portion of the film where he's talking about having sex on the road and, you know, so then it becomes, you know, one person isn't enough, then two per- people aren't enough, then you can't have sex with your wife. He, he starts talking about sort of getting getting sort of lost in this abyss, it feels like, of, of being on the road, which, I mean, doesn't sound entirely dissimilar to like musicians on the road and being in bands and stuff like that, too. But there's this moment when he brings a girl onto the stage, onto, sorry, onto the, into the ring with him. 
And he says she might end up being a truck driver who cross dresses or whatever, but she'll always remember that night. <laughs> just like, I, I, I just, I don't really, I, I just don't get the guy. I find him compelling, but I'm just like, what's going on in this guy's head? Always remember that <laughs> night. He is right about that. Yes, Every right. person who danced with the junkyard dog in the ring remembers that they were the kid that the junkyard dog brought into the ring. Like these, these, these are the, the the thing about the thing that's always kind of like been a mindfuck for me. I mean, obviously, a million things about wrestling, but one thing in particular is like for that moment. They yeah. are the center of the. They are the center of attention. They are the biggest celebrities in the room. They are playing characters that are larger than life. But for the most part, they are lower class people who mm-hmm. don't have health care, who are taking drugs, who are drinking to excess, who are getting in fights. These are people who, on one hand, are able to sleep with a different woman every night, and on the other hand, are killing themselves. And so many wrestlers die young like younger than 60, younger than 50. And so much of that is because of this dichotomy, I think, because of this this bizarre juxtaposition be, be, juxtaposition between being, in some cases, international celebrities and in other cases, lower class people who can you right. know, who are really having a hard time making ends meet. Yeah, when you're when you're a wrestle a working wrestler in an independent or something, it's 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 tough. Um but you kind of get by knowing that there's the goal of getting to where you want to be WWE or WCW back then or AEW now, uh, you know, there's always the, the, the hope that you'll get to where you want to be. It's the people who come down from that mountain, like Jake Roberts in this movie who are, are depressing to watch. It's depressing to see him know that his best days are behind him, that he physically can't do it, but he still has a desire to entertain. He still only has one, one talent in his career, in his, in his life. And that is to entertain people. And there's also, again, to go back to the idea of contradictions, wrestlers both crave the approval of the audience and see them as contemptuous, you know, the, the, the mark to be duped. At least they used to. And that's not really the case anymore. Wrestling Wrestlers are more amenable to the idea that the fans are what pay their bills and you need to cater to them and you can't think that they're idiots and marks and fools. But, um, you know, at, at the time this movie was, was coming out, it was, oh, yeah, these people are dumb and they are we are we are taking advantage of them on some level but also god i really need them to like me otherwise i'm not going to get booked again it's so uh, strange it's the same as um stand-up yeah right it is. Like, it is. yep stand-up comedians are the closest thing to wrestlers now granted all, all respect people who can get up on stage in front of people and tell jokes they're doing one thing at a time yeah. um and their art form is um respected so even uh, a failed stand-up is not quite the same as a failed wrestler. But yes, this thing in the moment where you're in front of people and you're completely vulnerable and you're essentially, I, you're, you're pouring your heart out, whether it's you know in the form of telling these jokes that you've crafted with love or whether you're out there and you know, basically you're underpants and um, trying to make people laugh or you're trying, people, trying to make people feel things for your you know, fake fighting. And then having a situation where if things don't go well, 
you're going to get heckled, yeah. which is a nightmare. Like that doesn't <laughs> exist. That, that doesn't exist for even stage actors because if someone tries to heckle a stage actor, they'll be pulled out of there. And everybody in the room will will boo and hiss that person. But like, if, if you're bombing on a stage, uh, a stand up, you can you can heckle them. That could be part of the show. And if you're even like not not excellent at wrestling, like people will, it doesn't happen as much, thank God. But there is a long period of time where people were chanting, "You can't wrestle at wrestlers," yeah, which is so horrible to do to somebody and and you're in an arena with 10,000, 15,000 people and they're chanting, you can't wrestle at the, you you know how fucking hard it is to do. If if I was in a ring and an, and an audience was screaming, you can't write. (laughs) (laughs) Like, fuck this. Like, also let me, let me bring up a point we made earlier is these are also people who, if they, if they blow it in the ring, their scene partner could die. Yeah. Right. Draws is a perfect example of that. Darren Drozdoff is a blue chip wrestler in this movie, but boy, at some point somebody messes up and then he's paralyzed. So So that's not in that situation. So that's not something that happens often. Right, right, right. But but what happened exactly? Was it a a botched pile driver? I don't remember. It was some sort of, it was deal with the wrestler. And there was a move, and it didn't go well, and he landed on his neck, and it paralyzed him. Like it's, it was a it's power a bomb. It was a power bomb. Yeah, yeah. It's a split second, yeah. an inch or two in the wrong direction, and you're toast. Steve Austin was paralyzed very briefly in a match with Owen Hart in 1998, I think, and uh, he almost didn't wrestle again, and that would have changed wrestling forever. And it was Isn't there another guy that also that I don't know if he died in the ring. Owen Hart. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's he fell from the rafters. It wasn't a it wasn't a wrestling move that killed him. It was a malfunctioning harness. Um, but yeah, it's so dangerous, and it's, it's unlike anything else. You know, it's like Dave Shoemaker used to say: uh, the best wrestler in the world is Paul Heyman. Which Paul Heyman is in this movie. Paul Heyman is the the founder of ECW, Phil, right? Okay, yeah. Yep. Paul Heyman is still a, a big deal within the world of WWE. He's basically – he's almost always the manager or the top guy. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing Dave has some experience with him firsthand. Yes. But Because he was – did you work for him? Was he was he running Raw and you were there? Or? I worked um, not underneath him or with him, but he was an advisor. He was a consultant to the, to the um, writing staff at the time. And would eventually so become the head writer again after I was gone. So he's been in and out of WWE since WWE bought ECW, which happened right around 2001, right? Two years 2000. Um, and uh, Dave Shoemaker would say he's the best wrestler. This guy d- didn't wrestle. But the, his point was everything that happens on the show, if you are on the show and you are performing, you are a wrestler. So Owen Hart falling from the rafters, it was not a wrestling move that you learned in wrestling school, but that's wrestling, right? Owen Hart descending from the rafters in costume uh, is something that doesn't really happen on uh, in other mediums, right? That is wrestling. That is something that you, you ask someone who is barely trained to do something like that to do. And that I is feel a like Lady Gaga did it, but other than that, that's the only other person I can think of. <laughs> she did it at the Super yeah. Bowl. Right. Theatricality to other things, but it's not 
it's it's a, a purely holistic art form because you have to do everything. Right. And I think that was a point that was kind of made about stand up. Is stand up you're doing one thing, and wrestling you're doing seventeen things all at once, and that right. is impossible. You have to be a great talker. You have to be funny. You have to be serious. You have to be a great athlete. You have to be beautiful and model like you know. You have to do all of these things. You have to be a pitch man or woman. It's crazy. Um, Politician, right? Yeah, you have to be a politician. You have to be someone people want to see, an attraction. Um, that is the crux hey, I, of yeah. – Can I ask you who you think uh, who you think does it really well right now? Oh, boy. Um, I would say John Moxley, who is on AEW, is the best pure wrestler in the world because mm-hmm. he can make you believe. He makes it real. He makes it seem like what's happening matters to him. And that is the most valuable skill is is suspension of disbelief, and that is what made Mick Foley in in wrestling such an important figure, and why his part in this movie is so crucial, is because by committing himself to acts of unspeakable violence, he made wrestling real for millions of people. That match, Royal Rumble '99. Or what, 98 or whatever. Yeah, nine, was it 98? 99. 99. Yeah, Royal Rumble 99 with The Rock, the I Quit match. Oh, that Made was 98. It, the one on the show was 98. Okay. Made it real. Made it all so real, didn't it? It's like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, the violence in this match. Um, okay. I, I wanted I wanted uh, run with that for a second because that's how the the film ends with with what with the I quit match that you're talking about. Correct? It is Royal Rumble right? 99. Right. It's 99? Yep. Oh, sorry. Royal Rumble 1999, January 24th, 1999. I um what I found so powerful about this and what taps into what you're both talking about in terms of um juggling all of these different things is that Mick doesn't perhaps realize what he's subjecting his children and wife to you know, uh, when when they're about to watch him fight The Rock. Now, I think he has an inkling and he tries to sort of preface it with the kids by saying, he's my friend, he's my friend, like, don't worry, it's okay. But when he watches the footage at the end of the film and sees his children crying, sees his wife essentially screaming, saying, stop, it's, I mean, it obviously really breaks through to him and he understands that obviously he never wants his family to watch him wrestle again, but it really just goes to show how powerful a medium it actually is. Like we are watching these people, even if it's a performance, they're still performing as though they're, they're violently hurting each other. It's still very powerful. You have to do it that way. And that's the kind of the point I was trying to make is the reality of this moment, this match, the I quit match and the number of chair shots that he takes and the actual pain that really is on his face is what made Mick Foley an attraction. It's what made him a superstar is because the violence that he subjected himself to was real. It was so real that you can't fake a chair shot. And even though these children witnessed this match, even though they saw their father bludgeoned within an inch of his life by the rock, they all still work in the wrestling business. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Dewey Foley... Worked that, as a writer yeah. at WWE. Yeah. And she was and the daughter was trying to be a wrestler for Noelle, last year. Noel, you know, and, and and Mick, they were on that reality show on the network. 
Noel's boyfriend is a wrestler. It is just in your blood. And and yeah. Mick, you know, the reason I, I thought it was 99 was because I was mistaking it with the Triple H Mick Foley match the that year was later. 2000. Yep. That was a 2000 Rumble, right. Yeah, and it was a similar yeah. sort of brutal match, but not yeah. as brutal because they couldn't do it again. It was a street fight at Royal Rumble uh, 2000. With, uh, I think... I remember it clearly because that was the first time they brought out the barbed wire bat in WWE. Yep. This Phil, this is a bat covered in barbed wire. Believe it or now, not, they tried to do this again <laughs> after this movie came out. This movie comes out in October 1999. It comes out on uh, DVD and VHS in 2000. You would think, like, okay, let's pump the brakes. This is too much. People are starting to see that this, this sport's really fucked up. But then they're like, let's do it again because we know Mick Foley is going to do what we need him to do, which he did the year wow. before. And what is that? That is get heat on the bad guy. Mick Foley is the most sympathetic character in wrestling at this time. If you see him get his ass whipped, you know it's real, you know he's suffering, and you know, and you, know you love him. And so when The Rock beats the shit out of Mick Foley at Royal Rumble 1999, what do you want to do? I want to see Stone Cold Steve Austin get revenge for Mick Foley at WrestleMania. And I'm going to pay $59.99 to see that motherfucker get his ass kicked. And then the next year, Triple H beat the shit out of Mick Foley at Royal Rumble 2000. And you know what? I hope that The Rock beats Triple H <laughs> and I'm going to pay fifty nine ninety nine to see that happen. That's why Mick Foley is a superstar. That's why he's a millionaire is because he made people believe and he made people want to see somebody get revenge on his behalf. Can I also say he seems like a really nice guy? Yeah, he, he is. is. He just, and I'm, I didn't mean to say seems, I mean, obviously I just don't know him, but like all of the footage of him with his family, I mean, I don't think that we really needed the flashbacks in slow-mo with Stand By Me playing, but but all that being said, I think that, I think that you really, I mean, he's a great dad. He looks like he's a great dad. He looks like he, he cares about his family tremendously. Um, and I'm not, I don't mean to suggest that, that he wouldn't have these attributes, but he, he just seems like a really good human. On top yes. of all of it. So, of course, you want to see someone get revenge on Nobody dislikes Foley. Wrestling at this time was very lucky to have McFoley. Not mm-hmm. for not just for the reasons Dave was talking about in uh, in terms of storyline and his utility sure. that way. But McFoley uh, le- was able to legitimize wrestlers in a way that no one else had before. Hulk Hogan would go on The Tonight Show or whatever, Saturday Night Live. He would still wear the stupid shirt and still t- – per- pull it apart and, and play the part of a, you know, dumb jock from Venice, California. Um, Mick Foley's move after the ravioli commercial was to write an autobiography, not ghostwrite an autobiography, which everyone was very clear that he wasn't ghost, that wasn't being ghostwritten because there were others that were ghostwritten and it was, you know, it, it was the whole industry was, WWF had of like, we'll find a, a writer to write the book with the wrestler and it's a brand extension opportunity. But that wouldn't have happened without Mick Foley saying, I'm going to do it for real. You're a hundred percent. And and he also was able to continue to do what he just did with you, Phil. He would go on TV over and over and he never changed his look. It wasn't like he cleaned himself up, but he went on TV over and over again and he was smart and articulate and he was vulnerable and he was thoughtful 
And I think he went a long way towards changing the perception of what a wrestler could be. I think The Rock built on that to some extent. I think Stone Cold built on that to some extent. But I think Foley, more than anybody, opened people's eyes to even the guy who was taking chair shots, taking the barbed wire to the face, having the tooth fall out of his nose, which isn't really what happened, but have tooth fall go through his, his lip, which is what happened, um, has a brain and has a mind. And for me, like when I hear wrestlers talk about wrestling, I almost never hear a glorification of violence. I almost always hear the kind of things Dave's talking about. How do we get people excited? How do we get people to come to the next show? How do we tell a story that's going to keep people you know, on our channel and that kind of stuff? And how do I work with these people? And how do I, you know, wouldn't it be fun to work with this person? There's someone, there's someone, um, I mean, again, these are all secondhand stories because I only read about it on the internet. But uh, Dave, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but Carmella, the wrestler, I think has done a really good job of keeping herself relevant by finding unusual people to work with, right? Mm-hmm. I think she pitched herself to work with James Ellsworth who was this like kind of weenie guy, but there was something about him that people tuned in for, right? She's this very attractive wrestler um, who kind of didn't have anything. And it'll be funny. Yeah. Well, that's what Vince loved, right? It's, but it's he just contradiction and, and it's interesting um, pairings. It is about the attraction. It is about why am I going to watch the show? The violence is the tool to get people to pay attention and violence has to be used judiciously. And that is the question in this movie with the number of chair shots in the, in the I quit match and you know, how, how violent does it need to be? And Foley is always going to say it needs to be more violent. The rock is going to say it needs to be more violent. Vince is going to say it needs to be, be more violent because this is the moment that they sell you on. I got to see the rock get his ass kicked. So it has to be brutal enough to shake you out of your complacency. Wrestling can't go that place anymore because of this movie. Wrestling can never go to the point where it's so shocking that it makes you viscerally upset because you can't do it anymore. They don't even do a blood that often. Uh, so wrestling is never going to reach the, the heights that it did at that time because it cannot shake you out of your complacency. It cannot make you forget that it is fake the way that Mick Foley did or the rock did here in this movie or the way Jake Roberts did when he literally had a snake bite macho man, Randy Savage. The reality of it is not there, but the reality is still there for the wrestler in this movie you see these people and they still believe it's real because they have to believe it's real in order to be effective salespeople. So, Dave, as someone who went, you went to the inside, what, four or five years ago? No, it was 2019. So I assume you went there with thoughts on how to modernize the business um, or what what you wanted to bring to it. So what what would you do? Because given the, given the reality, you're just pointing out that it could never be what it was. What would you do? differently if you were handed uh the the, you know, the a show if you were into the reins if tony khan called you and said we want to bring you in and, and run aw which is this instead of upstart me, instead of instead of me getting to do it myself i want you to do it yeah that will never happen but if it did i would say one they're doing a great job on aw already two wwe is the problem and the wwe is so heavily scripted and formatted um it cannot deviate from the format the way that 
it does in this movie. In this movie, you see that they're always trying to surprise people. They're always trying to do things where you're going to be shocked. You're going to be taken out of your seat and shaken, like I said. They can't do that anymore because it's too hard. <laughs> it's difficult. That's a, not yeah. an easy job. And the, the head of the company, the, the person, the head writer of WWE is in his late 70s. <laughs> so, like, it's never going to be fearless. It's never going to be dangerous. It is a corporate product. And so without that sense of the unpredictable, it will never connect with people the way that it did in 1999 when this film came out. Uh, it just can't. It's not possible within the framework of WWE. So can I ask a, can I ask a Vince question? Sure. Vince is, st- Vince is still running WWE. Am I, am I correct in oh, that assessment? Certainly, yeah. Is he still wrestling? Oh, no. No, he's, I mean, he, I'm sure he would under the right circumstance, but I don't think it would, I can't imagine it would be wise at his age. Because when he shows up in the documentary in the ring, I was just like, that was a real mind-blowing moment in the documentary for me, where I was like, what now? Oh, yeah. Think about it. Wrestles in that that, Royal Rumble in that year. Think about it. That was like for every kid who grew up watching this guy as a as a as the play by play guy in a suit and not even what anyone really liked like not even not even a special one right and then around 96 97 they, they acknowledged he was the owner of the company on camera but still like he was a weenie like this is Vince he was a weenie Which is funny had, he's a giant of a man he's huge i had no idea that he had that body under there and the weirdest part about it was his main foil Steve Austin, has a you know he's a very in shape guy, yeah. but he doesn't look like that. Yeah, Vince is and like jacked. There's a gym. Shape. There is a a weightlifting gym in Titan Towers, and you know you're encouraged to use it. And Vince uses it, and Vince Vince works out more than some of the wrestlers. Like he is very serious about his his fitness regimen and looking uh, the best he can. Um, he takes. He lives his gimmick too. Like he really does. Like that's that he's a serious person. And um yeah, he's very much in charge of WWE and he will be for a long time. But I would say it doesn't really come across as much in this movie because you see the real man. But the Vince McMahon character is the greatest bad guy in wrestling, maybe one of the greatest villains in American popular fiction that's so ever much. lived. Like it's or ever been created like Mr. McMahon's character is so evil and he was so good at playing that character and you would believe that he was willing to sacrifice his daughter to a devil worshiper or that he would like double cross Steve Austin and risk his own company just to see this man brought low like he just it's so good like him and Austin together is so incredible nobody made him angry like Vince McMahon so the thing that happened in wrestling, and you talked about this a little before, Dave, was when when wrestling fans started to appreciate the heels and started to appreciate how good they were at pissing off the audience in a way that wasn't booing, in a way that was cheering, right? So then you had this period where all these bad guys were getting the biggest reactions, making it so hard for a new bad guy to emerge. 
But Vince, for the most part, was able to maintain his extremely negative reactions for a very long time. And in today's environment where everyone is wise to what's actually going on, that's incredible. Like yeah. he was so good at this. Well, because he's not cool. There's nothing cool about that character. He is the he is <laughs> no. serious and talks like this and lady, patronizing and uh, ladies and gentlemen, you will not get what you want to see tonight because I won't allow it. Like just very good at it, and uh, it doesn't come across here. But he knows wrestling better than anybody. Um, the mechanics of it, the psychology of it, it is a psychological game that you are playing with the audience. Uh, and there's there's hardly anybody on this planet. Maybe Ric Flair, maybe maybe Austin, maybe the Undertaker, who Shawn Michaels certainly, who know um, that art form right. as well as he does. Mick Foley is probably another one of them. So the so the very end of this film, um, there's a mention of uh, Droz's injury. I guess is the best. Draws the best. Yeah, Droz's yeah. uh, injury. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very quick. Uh, it's it, it's. I mean, it's barely on the screen. I think I counted, and I don't think it's on the screen for seven seconds. Um, it, it it it. I guess my question is. I mean, they obviously had to put that in there because it happened, right? And it happened, I guess, uh, a couple months before the release of the film. Um, I don't know that it necessarily leaves the film with the message that was intended, but I, I guess I, I I wonder what you guys think of that. I mean, I think the message of the movie is not a an obvious message. And that's part right. of what I like about the movie is it doesn't tell you wrestling is good, wrestling is bad, wrestling is good for people, wrestling is bad for people. It shows a lot of the warts of wrestling, but it also, I think, shows you what's beautiful about it and what is appealing about it. And I think no popular art about wrestling has ever captured the duality of it the way that this has. Even Wrestling with Shadows, which is a good movie and is compelling because of the the real story of Bret Hart being manipulated by Vince McMahon. Even with that, it's not as good as this because it does get to the heart of the the strangeness of it and the and the the beauty and and the ugliness of it. Nobody's ever captured that. No, no, no. Glow is a show that is ostensibly about wrestling, but it is not about wrestling at all. It is about other things. Um, the wrestler is about one very small part of wrestling, but it is does not capture everything else about wrestling. This gets to everything that you want to know about it. Everything from the backstage of the biggest company in the world to the the ticket takers at the smallest wrestling show, Paul Heyman's speech that he gives in this movie, uh, you know, all of those things that encompass what wrestling is are in this. And this is the only one that has ever done that. Do you think it's – so there's a show uh, coming out on Stars Called Heels. Yeah. Um, do you think it's and, – and, and one more thing. It does seem like at least they have a basic understanding of all the things you're talking about. Their sure. perspective on the business seems to mirror what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's possible – for a scripted show or a scripted movie to tell the story of wrestling 
in a way that's as, obviously you can't get it as comprehensive, but as compelling and as realistic as this movie. Yes, that's all I'll say. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't I feel, I feel like Dave might be in development on something like that. Yeah, I literally cannot say more than yes. That's awesome. Sure. Right? That yes is a great answer. Um, so, uh, do you want to rate this, Kenny? Does that feel right to you? Or is there, are there other things you want to tap uh, into? Or? I could talk about wrestling all day long, but I just want to know, uh, who, who's cool. I don't need to know who's not, but who's cool. Who did you like? Who did you, who did you like working with? Who did you like writing that's for? Best, that's my favorite Kenny question ever. Who's who cool? Like, who's cool? Who did you like working with? And who did you like writing for? I mean, uh, who, you're not writing you for anybody unless you're on the road. And for the most part, I was in Stanford writing from the office so i can't say like oh i love writing for that person or or not but you know people that i interacted with that i thought were great all the new day guys are awesome baron corbin is a really down to down to earth cool guy um jeff jarrett was in the writer's room and he's a pretty smart dude road dog knows wrestling really well paul Heyman is a wealth of information uh, you know, lots of people are are really good at their job and really cool and really smart. The writer, all of the writers t- from the, the top down, you know, are trying so hard and it is an impossible job. Every single person who writes at WWE deserves a medal. Yeah. It's hard and they don't get any respect <laughs> and they deserve respect. Let's rate it. That was good. Um, so, um, Dave, on, on this podcast, every week we rate, our, uh, the film that we're talking about. Um, if we saw it at 99, we give it a rating of zero to 99, 99 being the highest zero being the lowest. And then we rate it again. Now, if we saw it recently, now I know that Kenny and I just watched it. I'm not sure if you watched it again. I'm assuming you probably didn't, you know, it pretty well, it seems. Um, but I'll go first. Uh, I had not seen this film before. Um, I watched it yesterday uh, and was pretty floored by it, quite frankly. I, I think I, I probably give it an 82, uh, 82, 83. I'm in the sort of the, the, the low 80s on it. I, I, I honestly uh, didn't really know what I was about to sit down in. Um, I didn't really know what to expect from it. And if I'm being completely frank, didn't really know how I felt about wrestling before I sat down to watch this thing. Um, and it was a really powerful human experience about people that... Uh, that are, I mean, honestly, it, it felt like people searching for love in an industry that just uh, seems kind of loveless. Uh, it's 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 pretty. Uh, it's it was really powerful. So I, I mean, I, I'd probably give it a. I'd, I'd say around 82, 83 is where I'm at. But Kenny, what, what about you? Uh, I did see this in '99 at the time. As I said, I you know conflicting feelings. It's hard <laughs> as a wrestling fan. Right. To see Mick Foley's family watch him get beat in the head and go and watch it again the next day, which I definitely did. Um, so, uh, I, but, you know, I own this DVD. I watched it more than once. Um, it was also really validating to have, a, to have this taken seriously and given this kind of treatment. Because for my whole life, the closest thing you ever got to wrestling in mainstream was Hulk Hogan doing no holds barred or something like that. So it was kind of uh, a, a, a new moment um, in that. So in 99, I, I, 
I would give this probably an 80. Uh, watching it before the podcast, I mean, it went up. I think this is uh, above all everything we said. I think it's an incredibly watchable podcast. I think it's a very fast podcast. I think it's a really well structured pod. I'm really well structured documentary. Yeah. Documentary yeah. Um, with with three incredibly compelling characters at its core. Um, there are things that like for the Terry Funk stuff we didn't even talk about. His decency with the wrestler who hadn't worked in six years, giving him the managerial job. I'm the uh, the refereeing job. There's a there's a basic decency to these guys that um, that's lovely and kind of incredible uh so watching it before this podcast um i'd give it a a 90 and after the podcast after you know i I feel like dave you kind of rode for it in a way i didn't necessarily expect you to um and using the you know kind of using the term beauty when it came to it made me feel better about the whole thing it's it's more than just an important expose it is an important document of wrestling at that time and understanding this like, you know, uniquely American art form yeah. uh, at its apex. There's, there's, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a 92. I I think wrestling is the most American art form that there is. So do I. By far. I, it, it encapsulates everything about America. The, the the grandiosity the hucksterism the the can do spirit the the multiple levels of reality uh, it's America to a T and you you can see how American wrestling is by the fact that the president of the United States until a couple days from the recording of this podcast is in the WWE Hall of Fame and everything that he did, everything everything about his political style comes from wrestling. He is the ultimate heel. The only bigger heel than Vince McMahon is Donald Trump. And he took his, his heel heat and his, his ability to rile up an audience and to get attention and, and wrote it to the white house. So this movie is incredibly important. Everyone should watch this movie and understand the psychology of professional wrestling and the psychology of manipulation and the psychology yeah. of emotional um, manipulation. Wrestling is I not think... an insidious art form, but it is an art form that can be used in an insidious fashion. And yeah. to humanize the people that do it, to demystify the ways in which it manipulates, and to uh, hopefully find some grace for the people who are practitioners of this art form is crucial to us understanding and, and, and hopefully healing the world after what we've been through the last five years. So I hope everybody watches this movie if they haven't watched it already. And I, I, this is to me a 90, 95 because of the, uh, of the residence it still has because that people don't make documentaries like this anymore where they really are verite sort of slices of real life versus mm-hmm. Let's have a bunch of reenactments and animated sequences, and let's spice this up. This is boring. Yeah, Vince McMahon would never make a documentary like this because it would never graphics and explosions and music. Until this moment, and Dave, I don't know if you have to go, but you opened the door that I want to walk through. Um, The Trump element 
that I've always been kind of thrown by everything Trump, but there has been a, a, a through line in the media in talking about Trump, that Trump is a professional wrestler. That assumes, to me at least, that he knows what he's doing. There's an possibly apocryphal story about a time when Vince McMahon on camera was in a limo that blew up and Donald Trump called to see if Vince was really dead. Um, That's who I think Donald Trump is. Donald Trump is, is someone who looked at what Vince did on camera and thought, that's a man. That's a leader. That's a boss. And I don't know if Vince is like that in real life, but he can't be like the Mr. McMahon character. No one's like that except Donald Trump. But the fact that Donald Trump took the Mr. McMahon character, stole his catchphrase, the catchphrase, the apprentice was, you're fired, was something that Vince had been using for, for years as something a bad guy does, like as something an asshole does. And Trump used it as something a fucking hero does. So what happened there with Trump, with him taking Vince and in his mind, in the mind of a lot of people in America, 75 million people, turning him face, which is to say making him a hero, is something I don't think – Dave, you made the point so much more succinctly than I can. But wrestling and this movie and understanding wrestling and understanding this movie goes a long way to understanding Trump. But we're not even there yet because I now need the documentary – of the Trump presidency where I understand how much of this is a shoot and how much of this is a work. And I think it's all shoot. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, and not to go off on a tangent at the end of a podcast, that is a tangent that is very heavy, but just to succinctly put a bow on this topic, I think Donald Trump learned a lot from his experience in WWE at WrestleMania 23. I think he developed because if you watch that show, those shows, he doesn't have the, mm-hmm. the stage presence. He doesn't have the, the sort of charisma. He doesn't have the things that you expect Donald Trump to have. He's just a guy who seems very uncomfortable with the in- idea of being in front of a live audience. But I think he got the taste. I think he got the taste for it. I think he got a, a little taste of like the most potent drug imaginable. And he, he, couldn't, he couldn't let yeah. go of it. And I think he saw the potential in riling up an audience like this but he doesn't know how to wield the 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 dark art it's (laughs) you know he didn't know that for a wrestling character for a heel the psychology is you want to see them get their ass kicked at the end which is what i said before about mcfoley and about triple h and the rock and the rock in this movie is like they're building up the rock to get his ass kicked at the end and what Donald Trump didn't understand is every wrestling story has a payoff and the bad guy loses. And the payoff well, he lost. Uh, at the Capitol, that was the blow off and yeah. he lost. Yeah. I, I mean, wow. I, I, this has been, this has been a tremendous episode, David. I can't thank you enough for being here, but I also just have to say the way you wrapped up this, this documentary within America and all of that. I mean, I, I truly couldn't have, First of all, I didn't see the parallels until you until you you know said it, and then it it just it gives me that much more respect for this documentary, which is already an incredible piece of. Oh, hi, so low. All right, I, was, I mean, eighty-seven. Never in the history of wrestling will there be another movie like this. 
because they'll never well, allow it. What's even it's almost and I don't mean to put wrestling aside, but almost put, putting wrestling aside and just talking about what you're talking about, about the, 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 so, the socioeconomic commentary of this documentary, you know, what these people are striving for, what they're longing for and, and, and how that is baked into the American dream in so many ways. I mean, it's it's just I mean, it's an already powerful documentary that you just took to another level for me. So I really do appreciate that. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I just I mean, I don't want to speak for Kenny. Kenny's going to speak for himself. But this was a thrill to have you on here and to and to really I just sort of to 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 shine a light on a world I knew very little about um, was just a real a real. Dan, you're the guy I would have picked out of all the guys. So I feel very fortunate that we found that we we have a mutual connection through Clay and uh, and we were able to get to you. So thank you so much. No problem. Yeah, this was this was great, and uh, I will always love talking about wrestling, even if my experience doing making wrestling was not uh ideal i still love it despite everything else phil what are that we doing next like, week? I, before i just want to say one quick thing that feels like wrestling in a nutshell right there this idea of like even if i still love it it's like <laughs> I, I just think that that's uh next week uh, i did an episode with uh with uh, uh tori brevetti and uh, emma fraser on the rolling stone covers of 1999 we walked through each cover and uh, the various things that were in each issue of that magazine over the course of 1999. And it was a total blast. They were a lot of fun. Uh, it's a great episode. Uh, I don't know if it's as good as this episode, though. I'll be perfectly frank. This was a tremendous episode of of, uh, of our podcast. And again, Dave, we really can't thank you enough for being here. Thank you for having me. One last thing. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989. Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episode, Sullivan for our social media, Jan Katas for our artwork and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Podcast like it's 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.